We all want to welcome you here today to Big Valley Grace, especially those of you that are visiting. And I want to welcome those of you that are over in the venue right now and appreciate uh, you, John, and leading the, the worship over there. And, and uh, Jared, that was just great. I was over there standing in the back, and so I got to see the back of all of your heads. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I want to welcome you here. Hey, uh, before we get into this message today, why don't you pull out that little sheet that looks like this, even those of you over in the venue. And uh, we're coming up on a season uh, for those of us that name the name of Christ. It, it, it's pretty important. Um, in fact, if we don't have the Easter season, there's no reason to be here right now. If there isn't uh, an empty tomb, there, there'd be no reason to sing or to take an offering. There'd be no reason to pray. There'd be no reason to preach. We might as well, you know, grab a keg of beer and eat, drink, and be merry today because tomorrow we die. This is really the apex for, uh, for those of us that know the Lord. This season is really the, 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 the apex of it all. It's what separates Christianity from all other religions, and that is our God is alive today. And we've got something a little bit special on Palm Weekend, which is next weekend, if God doesn't come back, we have Oz Guinness here. And most of you only know Oz through uh, the Truth Project. Oz doesn't spend a lot of time in churches. This isn't necessarily where... He, he goes, he doesn't preach a lot of messages in churches. He spends most of his time on college campuses. He's a really good thinker. But he's going to be here, he's going to open up the Bible, and we're going to look at Luke 19 and the triumphal entry. And he is going to get us prepared for what's going to take place the following weekend. And you're going to want to be here. Some of you need to maybe even think about moving to Saturday night. We have a few more chairs available on Saturday night than we do in here. And that might be what you want to do or move to the 8.40 or the 9 o'clock hour. And then after Oz is here, then we have Good Friday. And Good Friday, we have two gatherings in here, one at noon and one at 7. And they're 50 minutes long, and they're really different. There's no pulpit. There's no preaching. A good Friday is not about inviting all your friends. I don't care whether you invite a friend or not, really. Good Friday is for you to come. It's for you to um, just be with the Lord and think about what Friday represents. We, we call it Good Friday, which is kind of an oxymoron. Friday was when Jesus Christ died a horrible death. And for those of us who know the Lord, that's good because our sins have been forgiven because of that moment. But you ought to be here at noon or 7 o'clock. And then you can see all of our Easter gatherings, two on Saturday, we've got three on Sunday, we have the venue and, and all of that, and, and I guarantee you, Christian, we're going to have a great time worshiping the Lord, and, and if there's ever a weekend when the church ought to get together and, and party and, you know, hip hip hooray God and celebrate, it's Easter weekend, and we're going to do that. In fact, I want you to know, all over the globe, billions of people will gather in churches to celebrate on Easter weekend. In fact, it's so crazy around here, we'll actually hire a hire patrolman, and he'll be right out there on Tully Road, and he'll get the cars in and out here. There'll be so many people here. And there are a lot of churches that do that. Easter is one of those moments where, man, something incredible goes down. And so we as believers are going to have a great time celebrating it. But Easter's also a time for, for everybody, whether you know the Lord or not. You see, Jesus Christ hung on that cross for everybody. He walked out of that tomb for everybody. He offers this amazing new life, eternal life, to everybody. And so I want you to think about who you're going to invite. What friend of yours, maybe, you know, doesn't know the Lord, somebody you work with, the guy that mows your lawn, the guy that cleans your pool, the, 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 the person who does your toes, the person who cuts your hair. You see, all day long, we interface with all kinds of people. And God died on that cross for them. He came out of that tomb for them. 
and it would be tragic if we just show up here on Easter weekend and all we've basically done is thought about ourselves. And, and, and we're going to celebrate, I guarantee you, but you, you need to think about who you're going to bring. And that's what that other card in there is for. We want you to write the first name of somebody that you would just pray for, that you would say, God, I'd, I'd like to invite this person. Maybe you put two or three names down. And then after our gathering, we have our prayer wall out there. Just go put it on that wall. And your staff throughout the week is, is going to pray for those names. You ought to get here a little bit early and pray. Maybe stay a few minutes afterwards and just go to that wall and pray for those people. Jesus died for those people. We ought to at least pray for them. That God would open up their hearts and that they would want to come and, and, and hear this incredible story about how God loved them and cared about them and came to planet Earth and died and rose again uh, for, for, for them, okay? So please, take advantage of that. Put, put a name on there and, and just say, you know, God, I'm going to trust that when I invite them, they'll come. Now, let me tell you something. 99.4% of the people that you invite are going to come. They'll come. They'll come. There's so many people that go to church on that weekend, it's like this vortex. <laughs> people just get sucked into churches. They just come. Before I knew the Lord, guess what? I went to church. I didn't know the Lord. I just knew it was Easter. I was supposed to go. And some of you are going, what happens to the other 0.6% who don't go? They just were invited by somebody else and they're in another church that morning. Because I guarantee you, you invite somebody, they'll come especially if you spent time praying for them. So let's take advantage of this season, okay, family? And let's be praying together and all that kind of stuff. Well, for the past 11 weeks, we've been in a series here at Big Valley Grace called Standing Strong, where we've been going through the book of First Peter together. And today we're gonna wrap it up, and we're gonna wrap it up by having a good old-fashioned Bible study. I told you in the, the, the very first week of this series uh, that this letter, the, the, the book of Peter, we call it, was written to people, Christians, who were living in some horrible times. They were abused and mistreated. They were suffering greatly for their faith. Um, they were being viciously persecuted. Christians were being fed to the lions at this time. Christians were being burned at the stake when this was written. Uh, Christians were being put into to prison and just brutally tortured. In 64 AD, uh, Nero, who was the emperor, basically burned Rome to the ground, and then he blamed the Christians for, for doing it, which obviously made everybody hate anyone that was a Christian. And I want you to think about this. Sometimes when you read the Bible, it can just become black ink on a page, the people that Peter was writing to were our brothers and sisters in the Lord. They were our brothers and sisters in the Lord, and it was a brutal time to be a follower of Christ. Just brutal. And many of them were just slaughtered simply because they were, they were Christians. In fact, a few years after Peter wrote this letter, he himself was crucified. He was murdered. He was martyred simply because he was a follower of Christ. Now, I sat in my office this past week, and, and I tried to imagine what it would have been like to live under this kind of persecution, and it was hard for me, and here's why. We, we, don't, we don't suffer persecution for our faith here in America. I don't have to worry about somebody, you know, busting in the back door back there, coming in, rushing, hauling me off in chains for preaching or, or anything like that. You don't have to worry about, you know, uh, somebody busting into your home when you have your home group uh, this week. We have a lot of freedoms here in America. You are free to read your Bible anytime you want. You're free to pray anytime you want, and, 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 and unless you're in the public schools and you got to do it kind of privately. But we have a lot of freedoms. And so when you think about our, our brothers and sisters in the first century who were suffering, it's hard to imagine what that would have been like. And that's at least was my experience this week. I, I just tried to imagine what would it have been like. And as I let my mind wander, one critical question popped into my head. If I was living under those conditions, this is the question that, that I would have had. 
Will this ever end? Will the persecution ever end? Will the, will the pain and the suffering ever end? Will, will, will the brutality ever end? The, the, these were people that, you know, saw their husband or their dad being drugged out of their home and beaten and thrown into prison, you know, thrown to the lions. These were people who were going through some crummy, crummy things. And as I was trying to imagine it, I, I thought, man, the question that would have come into my mind is, will this ever end? Will it always be like this? Will the killing ever end, you know? And then I began to think about what's happening in our world today. We may not experience persecution, but for whatever reason, I just began to think about our world today. Uh, all the wars and, and the rumors of wars and the genocide that's taking place. I began thinking about abortion, partial birth abortion. That's just really crummy. And that's legal in our country. It's just really crummy. I was thinking about child pornography. Couldn't help but think to myself, you know, it's one thing for adults to do whatever they want to do, you know. But that adults would take children. Child abuse. Divorce is common even amongst believers. Gangs and drive-by shootings, rape, violence, drug, rebellion. School, you know, campuses are under siege. Political corruption's everywhere, and I don't care whether you're a Democrat or you're a Republican or you're an Independent, political corruption is everywhere. Unbelievable. Our country refuses to repent of its sin. We've kicked God out of our public schools. Homes are turning into war zones. Sexual immorality is just running rampant. The love of money is controlling people. Death is all around us. We got diseases that have no cure and they're just spreading like you know, wildfire. There's no sense of what's right and what's wrong anymore, it seems to me. The book of Judges ends this way. In those days, Israel had no king, so everyone did what was right in their own eyes. As I read that, I thought, man, that verse could easily be describing the United States of America today. A lot of places on the planet, but certainly our country. I mean, everybody just doing whatever they want to do, right? I mean, who are you to tell me how to live my life, preacher? What's right for me is right for me, and what's right for you is right for you. Who are we to judge? <laughs> I don't know. I think Hitler was a bad guy. I know you wouldn't judge that, some of you. But I, I'm just telling you, I think he's a bad guy. I know he's a bad guy. No, he's not a bad guy. That's giving bad guys a bad name. Hitler was an evil man. I just made a judgment. And when you're dating somebody, you know what you do? You're making judgments about them. Is this the kind of guy I want to spend the rest of my life with? Is this the kind of guy that I respect and, and, and I honor him? Is this the kind of guy I hope my daughter will grow up and marry someday? And when you're dating a gal, guys, you make judgment. Is this the kind of gal that, that, that I want to spend the rest of my life with? Is this the kind of gal that I want to raise my children? Do I want my kids to be, grow up like hers? You're, you're making judgments all the time. How idiotic is it to say, well, you know, you know we just shouldn't judge. I, I'm not, I don't judge. We just... Uh. And the question that comes to my mind as I think about our country is, will this ever end? Will the madness ever end? Some of you are experiencing just a lot of pain and sorrow, and you might be thinking to yourself, will it ever end? Will the madness ever end? Well, today in our text, Peter answers the question. So everybody look at 1 Peter chapter 4, and let's look at verse 7. 
The Holy Spirit fills Peter. And God had Peter pin these words. It was written to a first century audience that was suffering greatly, but it was also written to us also. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or they need a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory and honor to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and all power to him forever and ever. Amen. Peter says in verse 7, the end of the world is coming soon. One version says, the time is near when all things will end. That was what God wanted these people to know. He wanted our brothers and sisters who were living under horrible persecution to know it's going to end. But that was also written to us. And it has application to us, obviously. And God wants us all to know that the end of the world is coming soon. Now, what exactly is Peter talking about here? What is Peter saying when he says the end of the world is coming soon? Well, in my opinion, he's talking about the rapture. Peter's talking about the day when Jesus comes back and takes his church, his bride, all true believers up to heaven to be with him forever. And the reason Jesus does this, the reason Jesus comes and takes us all out of here, he raptures us out of here is because God's gonna pour out his judgment on this planet. And God doesn't want his church, his bride, true believers. He doesn't want us going through that horrible time. Now, I want to take a moment and I want to unpack this a bit, okay? I want to make sure that you understand this. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 3 that Satan was able to deceive Adam and Eve, the first two human beings, into sinning. Satan was able to get Adam and Eve to disobey God. And when that happened, the Bible says this in Romans chapter 5, that when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, it messed everything up, everything. Now, I want you to, to, to just pay close attention. At that moment, when sin entered the world, when Adam and Eve sinned, it was as if Satan had somehow carjacked planet Earth. The Bible calls Satan in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he's the God of this world. I didn't write that. That was through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God wanted us to know that Satan is the God of this world. At the, at the moment sin entered the world, Satan became the God of this world. And by the way, it's small g, or in a weird way, as I say, Satan carjacked planet Earth. Planet Earth became Satan's kingdom. Paul said this in Colossians chapter 1. He said, for he, that's God, has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. That's Satan's kingdom. And he transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave us of our sins. Beloved, God clearly tells us that there are two kingdoms. There's Satan's kingdom and there's God's kingdom. And whether you realize it or not, you're in one of those two kingdoms. Now, everybody in this room who names the name of Christ has been in both kingdoms. There was a time in my life before I gave my life to Jesus Christ 
when I was a part of the kingdom of darkness. I didn't know it. If somebody would have told that to me, I'd have said, ah, you're nuts. Didn't believe in Satan. But it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. The truth is, is that God's word says that there are two kingdoms. And you're a part of one of those two kingdoms. And there's coming a day when God's going to judge those who are in Satan's kingdom. Those who are still dead in their sins and their trespasses. Now, I, I want you to follow me carefully. Just because a bad guy carjacks me and drives away with my car. Imagine I pull up at a red light and the guy points a gun at me. Hey, get out of the car. And I get out of the car and the bad guy gets in and drives away with my car. He's carjacked me. He's driving my car. But just because he's driving it doesn't mean he owns it. I own it. I have the title deed to the car. He just took it. Beloved, just because Satan carjacked planet Earth in Genesis chapter 3 doesn't mean that he owns it. God still has the title deed to planet Earth. It's still his. He created it. And there's coming a moment when he's going to come back and he's going to pull Satan out of the car, so to speak, and say, this planet's mine. It's always been mine. And you carjacked it in Genesis chapter 3 and I'm taking it back. And at the same time, he's going to judge Satan and those that are a part of Satan's kingdom. That day's coming. It's coming. Peter thought it was going to happen in his generation. In fact, all the writers of the New Testament all thought it would happen in their generation, that this moment was going to come when God was going to come and take back what is his, planet Earth, and he was going to judge Satan and those that were a part of his kingdom. They all believed it was going to happen in their generation. But before God does this, he's going to send his son, Jesus Christ, to rescue his church. He's going to send his son to gather up or rapture all the true believers God isn't going to have his church, his bride, go through that horrible period of time. Beloved, whenever a country goes to war, whenever we go to war, we always call our ambassadors home. We don't leave our ambassadors in the country that we're about ready to bomb. Well, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we are all Christ's ambassadors. If you know the Lord, you're Christ's ambassador. And there's coming a, a moment when God is going to declare all-out war against Satan and his demons, and it's called the Great Tribulation. But before he does, God is going to call his ambassadors home. It's going to get us out of here. In the Bible, we're called the bride of Christ. Do you think, do you think God is going to leave his bride down here, when he comes to bring judgment upon planet Earth? No. He's going to take us out of here, and that's called the, the rapture. Peter said this in chapter 1. He said, there is, a, there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. Well, what is this wonderful joy that Peter says lies ahead? Well, once again, in my opinion, I think Peter's talking about the rapture. The wonderful joy that lies ahead is the fact that one day God's going to come and take us out of this place. He's going to rapture us out of this world. Now, we may have to go through some crummy things down here on planet Earth, some trials, tribulations, whatever, but there's coming a day, and it could happen at any minute, when God will send his son, Jesus Christ, to come and get his people, all true believers, and take us to heaven to be with him forever. Now, listen to me. If you're going through this hellish time, like these believers were when Peter wrote this, could there be anything that would be more encouraging, that would be, you know, more, uh, bring more hope than to know that there's coming a moment when God is going to take me out of this place 
and I will spend my eternity with him. Peter says, listen, folks, the, the, the end is coming. The rapture is going to happen. And we're going to get out of this crummy place. And we will spend our eternity in a place that is absolutely perfect. There's no sin. There's no tears, sorrow, pain, all that stuff. None of that. Peter's telling these Christians that the rapture is imminent. It's right around the corner. It's very, very close. Expect it at any moment kind of a thing. Now let me fill your mind with a number of passages that make reference to this great day that Peter was talking about. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 24. He said, no one knows when that day or time will be. Not the angels in heaven, not even the Son. Only the Father knows when that moment's gonna be. Beloved, when Jesus came to planet Earth, he voluntarily gave up for a time certain aspects of his deity. And one of those aspects was details about the rapture. In other words, when Jesus lived here 2,000 years ago on planet Earth, he didn't know when he would come again to get his bride, his church. Only God the Father knew when that was gonna happen. Beloved, we're not given the exact time when the rapture will happen. The Bible doesn't tell us. All the Bible tells us is, is that it will happen. Peter knew it was going to happen. Jesus knew it was going to happen. They just didn't know when it was going to happen. Beloved, in two weeks, we'll celebrate Easter. We'll celebrate the fact that Jesus rose from the, from the grave, right? Well, in Acts chapter one, Jesus is actually risen from the grave and he's having a conversation with his disciples. And he says this in Acts chapter one, verse six. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for, for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? I mean, hey, Jesus, we saw you on the cross. We saw you, you were dead. We saw the, the, the Roman soldiers, you know, along with Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. We, we, we saw them put you into that tomb. We saw that big rock in front of the tomb. We saw those soldiers in front of the tomb. We saw that now you're alive. Is this it? Is this one you're gonna, you know, really poke the, the Romans in the eye and take over? And Jesus replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. They're not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And at that moment, those guys had no idea that there was a place called Modesto, California, or that there would be a place called Modesto, California. And Jesus still wants you to be his witnesses here. He wants you to, to invite a friend here, a neighbor here. You're still his witnesses, Christian. You're still it. And I hope that you're seriously thinking about who am I going to pray for? Who am I going to invite here? Story goes on, after saying this, Jesus was taken up in a, a cloud while they were watching and they could no longer see him. And as they strained to see him rising into the heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. They were angels. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven. But someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Guys, you actually saw Jesus bodily raise into heaven, right? Someday he's going to come again, just the way you saw him. He will come in bodily form someday. Now, once again, we're not told when that will happen. We're just told it was going to happen. And Christian, we're to be about the, the Father's business while we wait for that moment to happen. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians, he says, now that you have 
every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. Paul thought it was gonna happen in his lifetime. So he lived like it and he wrote like it was gonna happen in his lifetime. Paul said this in Philippians chapter three, he said, I've told you often before and I say it again with tears in my eyes that there are many who can, whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They're in Satan's kingdom in other words. They're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about their life here on planet earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we eagerly wait for him to return as our savior. Beloved, when this was written, Paul, Peter, they just, they just believed it was gonna happen. And they lived like it was gonna happen while they were alive. And they're writing to others, reminding them someday this is gonna happen. Now, 1 Thessalonians chapter four gives us a few more details about this coming day. It says this in chapter four, verse, verse 15, Paul says, we, we tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. The Bible says this, and it's very technical here. Obviously, we all have Christian brothers and sisters who have died. Those that Peter was writing to those that John was writing to, those that Paul was writing to, they've died. But when Jesus comes, Paul says this, look, when he finally comes, when that moment comes and everybody's gonna know about it, man, the trumpet call of God's gonna happen, the voice of the archangel, I mean, it's gonna be a moment that everybody knows is going down. It's a big moment. And when that happens, if we who are alive, you see, there's a generation of people who will never die, never experience physical death. If Jesus were to come back right now, you, you wouldn't experience phys physical death, either would have I. Paul's thinking, man, you know, I think it's gonna happen in my lifetime. So the dead in Christ have to rise first. And they're gonna get new bodies. Remember when Jesus went to heaven? He had a physical body. Those that died before us will come up out of the grave and they'll be given new bodies. They're not bodies like this, but they're new bodies. Our bodies will be changed in the twinkling of an eye, the Bible says. And once they're out of the grave, then together we all will go and meet the Lord. Now listen to me, listen. I've walked with Christ for, for over 30 years. And in some way, I don't know, some weird way, I've met the Lord through my times of prayer. And I've met the Lord in my times of reading the scriptures and my times of singing or whatever. But you know what? I, I, I've never seen him. I've never seen him. I've told a lot of people about him. But I've never seen him. Now some of you are going, hold on a second. My, my grandmother's got a picture above her mantle. They didn't have cameras back then, you know. Hey, that's really discouraging, Pastor. I thought, that, I thought that's what he looked like. No one, no one here knows what he looks like. We've never seen him. But there's coming a day when Paul says, we will meet the Lord. I will actually see him. I'll be able to touch him. I'll be able to hug him. I'll be able to hear his voice. That day is coming. That's why he ends with encourage people with these words. That's why Peter told these folks, listen, I know it's crummy, but the end is coming. 
You see, for those of us that know the Lord, those are encouraging words. That, that day's coming. Paul thought it was going to happen, you know, in his lifetime. He goes on and says this in chapter 5, God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we're dead or whether we're alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you're doing now. You see, it's possible if Jesus were to come right now, I'm alive and I would have never experienced death, physical death. And neither would you, Christian. And so Paul writes this like, hey, look, whether I'm alive or whether I'm dead, well, obviously Paul died. But he's writing as if it's going to happen right now. It's imminent. It's right around the corner. He says this in Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. And what's the blessed hope? The glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the blessed hope. And someday, it's not going to be about a song we sing about. It's actually going to happen. James, the half-brother of Jesus, weighed in on the topic of the rapture. And he said this in James chapter 5. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look forward to the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. I don't care who the writer is. They all knew that there was coming a day when Jesus Christ was going to come back. Jesus said this in Revelation chapter 3. He's writing to a number of churches, and to one of the churches, Jesus says this. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that's going to come upon the whole world. Well, what is this great time of testing that's going to come? I believe it's the great tribulation. I believe it's when God comes back to claim what's his. He has the title deed to planet Earth, and he's taken it back from Satan. This is also the time when he's going to judge Satan and sin. That's the, the great time that's going to come. And he says, I, I'm going to protect you from it. Christian? Well, how's he going to protect us? Is he going to put a force field around us? No! He's going to rapture us out of here. He's going to take us out of here. That's how he protects us. But here's the deal. There's one big, huge pink elephant in the room, isn't there? And that's this. The Bible was written over 2,000 years ago. Why is it taking so long for Jesus to come and rapture his church? I mean, Peter, James, John, they all said, man, it's coming. They all lived like it was going to happen in their you know, generation. Second century, third century, fourth century, fifth century, 15th century. <laughs> That's the big pink elephant in the room, isn't it? How come it's taken so long? Well, Peter gives us the answer to that in his second letter to this group of people, and we read a little bit of it during our time of singing. Peter says this, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, the mockers will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. Peter says they deliberately forgot that God made the heavens by the word of his command and he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. Talking about Noah's flood. 
And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They're being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friend. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. In other words, God isn't wearing your Seiko. God isn't wearing your Timex. He's not wearing your Bulova. He's not wearing a watch. He doesn't keep time the way you keep time. Time is different to God. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anybody to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. And then verse 15 says, and remember, the Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. Why has Jesus waited so long to come and rapture his people? Well, the answer is because God is patient and he doesn't want anybody to perish. I was thinking about this this week. If the rapture would have happened in 1969, I would have perished. If the rapture would have happened in 1975, I would have perished. The rapture would have happened in 1978, I would have perished. Beloved, I'm very thankful that God has been patient. Because if God wasn't patient and he would have come back prior to 1980, I would have perished. Now look, I want you to think back to that moment in time, that season in your life when you recognized your, your sinfulness and you gave your life over to Jesus Christ. Kind of got that date in mind? If God would have came back before that date, you would have perished. You see, the heart of God is, is he wants everybody to give their life to him. He hung on the cross for everybody. He walked out of that tomb for everybody. He offers life to anybody who would receive him. He wants to take anybody out of the kingdom of Satan and bring them into his kingdom. And he's patient. Now look, here's the bottom line. <laughs> I, I, want, I want him to come. I, I want him to come. I, I just, I hope it happens. Here's my dilemma. I have some family members who don't know Jesus. I have some friends that I pray for often who don't know the Lord. So I got this quandary going on. I, I want him to come. But if he were to come now, if his patience were to run out, so to speak, my friends would perish. I have some family members who would perish. And so I'm okay. Hang on, you know. Give me another day, will you? Now as I draw this message to a close, I went in with this thought. If the rapture were to happen right now, are you ready? Most of us probably are. I want to take us back to something Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. He said, hey, no one knows when that day or time will be. You know, the angels don't know. Uh, uh, he didn't even know. Only the Father knows. And then he said this. These were the words of Jesus. When the Son of Man does come, when Jesus comes, it will be like what happened during Noah's time. In those days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving their children to be married until the day Noah entered the boat. In other words, life just kind of went on. People got up, went to work, came home, had their hobbies, did whatever they did. Life just kind of went on. Until the day Noah entered the boat, they knew nothing about what was happening until the flood came and destroyed them. It will be the same when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other will be left. Two women will be grinding grain with the mill. One will be taken and the other will be left. And then Jesus says, so always be ready because you don't know the day your Lord will come. And Jesus takes us back to the days of Noah. It took Noah about 150 years, we think, at least 100 years to build that boat. 100 years, Noah stood up and told people that God was going to judge sin. 
For 100 years as he built that boat, Noah kept telling people, listen, you need to repent of your sin. You need to get right because God's going to come and judge planet Earth because of its sin. And people just kept getting up, going to work, doing their thing, you know, making breakfast, making the bed, giving their kids to be married, raising their grandkids. Life just kind of went on and everybody was just kind of mocking him. What are you talking about? And by the way, you know, that boat that he built was 500 miles away from the closest body of water. And so here, here, here Jesus makes a reference back to the first time God judged planet Earth with water. And he said, it's going to be like that when I come. And you know what? In 100, 150 years of telling people to repent of their sin, the only people who got on board that boat, the only people who were spared were his children. That's it. Jesus said this in John chapter 14. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And then he says this, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. No, no we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea, you know, where you're going and, and, and how to get there. And Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one can get to the Father. No one will get there except through me, Jesus said. Here Jesus makes a reference to that great moment, the rapture. He said, when everything's ready, and I don't know when that is, and you don't know when that is, but when it's ready and it could happen at any moment, he's coming. And who does he come and get? Those that have given their life to him. The Bible says this in John chapter one. He, Jesus, came to the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, the Jewish people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believe him, all who accept him, he gave those people the right to become children of God. And in a weird way, they become like the children of Noah. And it was Noah's children who were saved. And it's God's children who are going to be spared from this moment that's going to come and it could happen at any, at any moment. Look, I want to end like I've in, ended the last gatherings. I just believe that there's one of you here and you're not ready. Maybe you're over in the venue. I don't know where you're at, but you're not ready. And somehow through this message, God has opened your eyes. And you're going, I'm not ready. It doesn't take much to get ready. It takes but a simple prayer. And this is what I would, I'd like to do. All of these people right here are all people who last night and last hour all made a decision for the Lord. God's been working in people's lives, and maybe God's working in your life right now. And so would you just close your eyes, close your eyes over in the venue. Just close them, just, just, just close your eyes for a moment. And I just have to believe there's a, a person here, a person over in the venue, and right now you're going, I'm not ready, I, I don't know the Lord, I've never given my life to Christ. If Jesus were to come again right now, I, I'd perish, I'm not, I'm not ready. All you would have to do is, is just pray this prayer in your heart right now. Just say, Jesus, save me. <laughs> well, pastor, that doesn't sound, you know, very sophisticated. Well, it doesn't have to be sophisticated. You just have to mean that. You just have to say, Jesus, save me. And God knows what you mean. And he'll save you. All you have to do is say, Jesus, come into my life and cleanse me of my sin. And he'll come into your life and he'll cleanse you of your sin. Right now, I just believe, either in here or in the venue, maybe both places, there, there's somebody here who prayed that prayer. 
God opened your eyes to the truth that he's going to come back someday and you're not ready for it. And Jesus said you need to be ready. And, and you just prayed that prayer and for the first time, you're ready now. You may not understand it all, but you're ready. And I'm wondering, if you, if you did pray that prayer, would you just raise your hand real, real, real quick that I, I could see it? Yeah, some of you over here. Just make sure I see it. Yeah. Yeah, right here. Anybody else? Yeah, a bunch of you right over here. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Now, obviously, over in the venue, I can't see, but, but Pastor Jeff has seen your hands. All right, everybody look up here. Here's what we're going to do. Told you we're going to have a good old-fashioned Bible study. Well, we're going to have a, a good old-fashioned altar call here in just a moment. And uh, at all of our gatherings, we've invited people just to come right down here and meet me over in the venue. You're just going to walk to the back, and Pastor Jeff is going to meet you back there. And there were, I don't know, 20, 30 hands that went up. And I'm just going to ask you while we sing a song, I, I just want you to just come right down here and you're going to meet me right down here while we're singing. Uh, Jesus hung on a cross publicly for everybody, for you. And I know some of you are scared. And you're going, oh, dude, you're trying to tell me I've got to walk in front of 1,000 people? No, because it's more than 1,000 people. <laughs> so there's only 1,000. I have to worry about it. <laughs> I know it's scary, I, I know. And some of your hearts are, are beating like crazy. But I'm gonna ask you to have a little bit of courage and come right down here and meet me. I'm gonna ask you to get up out of your chair in a minute over in the venue and just walk in the back and Jeff's gonna bring you over to the altar because I wanna talk to you for a few minutes. It could be that while I was talking, you were going, you know what? The return of Christ is imminent and I've been goofing around with my salvation. I, I've never even been baptized. That needs to end. You could come forward and meet me right down here and say, you know what, I, I need to be baptized. I need to start taking my faith a little bit more seriously. Some of you know the Lord and you're ready, but you've never joined the church. Yeah, you come and you, 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 you attend, but you don't belong. And this is serious business. He's coming back. And you're just kind of nibbling away at the fringes. This needs to be the day you come forward or walk in the back of the venue and say, you know what, I want to become a member of this church. And I know some of you are going, what about the last four? Fill in the blanks. You won't be able to sleep all week long. <laughs> I know. In just a moment, Pastor Bobby's going to come up here and give those to you real quick. But I, I, I want everybody to stand up. I want everybody to stand up. And as we sing this song, okay, you come. You come right now. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you want to be baptized, you want to become a member of this church as we sing, you come right now. Go for it, man. Let's sing this song together. Just Come on, you come. Don't be afraid. here. Come on, you want to know the Lord? You want to get baptized, follow him there? You want to become a member of this church? You come forward right now. Don't be afraid. Jesus wasn't afraid to hang on a cross for you. Come on. This is good. Come on up here. If you're over in the venue, you just, you just go to the back and Pastor Jeff's going to bring you over to the altar room in just a minute. Come on. I know some of your hearts are beating right now and you know God's telling you to come up here. You know it. Amazing how strong our will can be, huh? Humble yourself. Just humble yourself and come on up here. Come on, come on, we got room, we got room, there's room. All right, all right, this is what we're gonna do. This is what we're gonna do. I'm going to have the privilege, I'm going to take you guys just a second right into the altar room, and if you, you came with one of these folks, I got five minutes with them, okay? Because I, I, I just want to, want to talk to you guys. But I also know that there are some of you out there, and you're going, oh, man, I was supposed to go forward. I know it. But you couldn't pull it off. I remember that day. 
I gave my life to the Lord and came to church the next weekend and the preacher told me to come forward if you want to become a member of the church. And I knew I was supposed to, but I couldn't do it. And I went back the next week and he did the same thing and I just couldn't do it. It was like, my, it was like I was stuck. I know. And I don't want you to leave here feeling crummy or guilty or whatever. But maybe you just might want to slip off in just a moment and come into the altar room because I'd love to talk with you in there as I'm talking with these folks here, okay? And Pastor Bobby's going to come and he's just going to quickly run through those four things. But give these folks a hand as we make our way this way. Come on, come on. November 1st, 1987, that was my day. Do you remember your day when Christ called you? said, come. said to me, I love you, Bobby. I forgive you, and I want you to stop. Dead in my addictions and in my sin, and Christ called me, and there was a party in heaven. And I guarantee you right now, there's a big party going on. And that is something that we can celebrate together. From that moment that I was saved and that you were saved until Christ returned, he, 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 he's left some instruction for us. And this isn't all the instruction, but Peter gives us four things that said, Christians, we, we've, 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 the party's been held, and now we're waiting until we enter into eternity with Christ. And in this moment now, he gives us, through Peter, four things that we can be doing. It's not exhaustive, but it's really four important points for us for living our lives. That one, that we would dedicate ourselves to prayer. In verse 7, it said, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Will you be a people praying for one another? What a great season for us to be doing that right now. Over the next couple of weeks, we will have hundreds of visitors come to Big Valley, and the gospel will be preached. Would you start praying this week? Would you be devoted to prayer, dedicating yourself to praying that others would experience that moment when they said, yeah, I want to belong to the kingdom of Jesus. Secondly, to care about one another deeply. Most important of all, continue to show a deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins, verse 8. Hey, Christianity isn't all clean and pretty. It gets messy sometimes. It does. You know, we're all human. We all make mistakes. We all stumble. We can hurt one another. We can injure sometimes. But if you would just show love, if you would care deeply for one another, those things can be set aside. They can be dealt with. And he's talking specifically to the body of Christ here. He's not talking to the world in general. We, body of Christ, would care deeply for one another. And the same, that third point, live a life of hospitality in verse 9 where it says, cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. That we, the body of Christ, are to be hospitable towards one another, always caring for one another. Now, hospitality extends beyond that, but in this passage, I believe Peter is speaking to us that we would be open and caring to one another. And it's not, you notice that first word, cheerfully? It's not, yeah, come on over. I'll give you a burger. No, that you would do that cheerfully, that this is our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would cheerfully, that we would carefully uh, extend that hospitality to one another. And finally, verse, uh, point number four was there, just devote yourself to ministry. It says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Again, Body of Christ, serving body of Christ. Hey, a way you can do that right now, just a short-term way. I know some of you are very committed to your ministries, but a short-term way you can do that right now is on your way out. Come one, serve one. It's set up out in the lobby. Next weekend, or two weekends is Easter. We need people. Saturday, we've got two services. Sunday, we've got a couple of services. Would you be willing to come and, and serve at one and worship at the other, or vice versa, worship at one and then serve afterwards? We need help in the nurseries, in early childhood, greeting, 
it just just a variety of ways you can serve. Even if you say, oh, I, I can't do that, just go out and check it out on the table. What a great way to devote yourself to the ministry of Big Valley. And it's just one day where you can serve. Four things that we can be doing while we wait on the return of the Lord. Father, thank you for what just happened in this room. And Lord, uh, I know you're busy partying right now. And we praise the name of Christ. And we give thanks that you gave us this church, this vehicle, if you will, that we could share the gospel. And so, Lord, continue to work in those hearts that just went over in the altar as they uh, start to change their lives. And for us that are here, Lord, may we be a people that uh, are uh, serving you, bringing glory to your name through these four steps and in any way we can, that the name of Jesus Christ would be blessed around the globe. And all of God's people said, amen.